As we have gone through the book of Nehemiah, I've done my best to to help us to begin to see some of the links between the work of God in the time of Nehemiah and the work of God today. And this morning we're going to consider a time when the work became very difficult for God's people. A time when they began to lose hope. But it was also a time when God delivered his people and they continued on because they remembered the Lord their God. As we consider the troubles in our lives, we too must remember the great and awesome God that we serve. Today, as we look at Nehemiah chapter 4, I want to break it up into three sections. Verses 1 to 6. And we see the people's faithfulness. They're continuing at the work that they have begun. And uh, there is some opposition. The people are insulting them and the peoples around them. But there's faithfulness in the midst of opposition. A turning to the Lord. And that's verses 1 to 6. Then in verses 7 to 12, we begin to see uh, more opposition. And the people begin to despair as the situation worsens. That's 7 to 12. And then in verses 13 to 23, we see the Lord fights for his people. And they respond ready for whatever may come because they look to the Lord. They were confident in the Lord their God. And so they were ready. So faithfulness and then beginning to despair as the troubles get worse. But then the Lord acts on their behalf. He answers Nehemiah's prayer, and the people continue on. Let's read Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Now, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. Now when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was quite upset. He derided the Jews, and in the presence of his colleagues and the army of Samaria, he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they be left to themselves? Will they again offer sacrifice? Will they finish this in a day? Can they bring these burnt stones to life again from piles of dust? Then Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was close by, said, If even a fox were to climb up on what they are building, it would break down their wall of stones. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Return their reproach on their own head. Reduce them to plunder in a land of exile. Do not cover their iniquity and do not wipe out their sin from your sight, for they have bitterly offended Uh, the builders. 
So we rebuilt the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. So far, so good, right? I mean, Sanballat and Tobiah are ranting and raving and full of mockery. But the people remain focused on the task at hand. They continue to do what God has called them to do. In Nehemiah, we see in verses uh, 3 to 5, or 4 to 5, sorry, expresses his feelings to God. But he doesn't demand anything from God. He leaves vengeance. He leaves the acting on the Lord's behalf. He simply, they simply continue the work. And sometimes when insults and troubles come, it's very easy for us to act in in vengeance. Want to deal with the situation. But God calls us to leave our hurt and our anger in his hands. Let him deal with it. And to simply be faithful to what he has for us each day. Just as the people continued on in their work. It's not easy. So as we move on, let's see what happens. What do the people do? What will the Lord accomplish? Nehemiah 4, verse 7. And I'll read 7 to 12. Then Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard the restoration of the walls of Jerusalem had moved ahead, and the breaches had begun to be closed, and they were very angry. All of them conspired together to move with armed forces against Jerusalem and to create a disturbance in it. So we prayed to our God and stationed a guard to protect against them both day and night. Then those in Judah said, The strength of the laborers has failed. The debris is so great that we are unable to rebuild the wall. Our adversaries also boasted, before they are aware or anticipate anything, we will come in among them and kill them and cause, oh, where does this say, boy? We will bring this work to a halt. Verse 12, so it happened that the Jews who were living near them came and warned us 10 times about all of the schemes they were plotting against us. Now at first glance, it might not seem like God was listening to Nehemiah's prayer. Instead of deliverance comes another wave of opposition. Things get worse. We see in verse 7 that the, the people are surrounded. The provinces around them, the Samaritans to the north, the Arabs to the south, the Ammonites to the east, and the people of Ashdod to the west are plotting against them. 
But God's people, first of all, respond well in verse 9. They begin with prayer and setting a guard to watch out to see if the enemies were coming. It'd be great if it ended that way and we could, if we just could be like, yay, let's just pray and then set a guard. But then verse 10 tells us something. Their focus begins to fade. And we read in verse 10 a summary of the people's words, their thoughts about the situation that they were facing. It's written in the Hebrew kind of like a refrain or a chorus as if they were singing it as they're working, you know. Oh, we can't do this. this the work is so hard. There's too many mounds of rubble. That's, they were looking at everything around them and seeing all the work that was to be done and all of the opposition that they may or may not face. This is all rumors in a sense at this point. And their strength is fading. What changed? They stopped looking to the Lord and began to look at the things around them. Verse 11 doesn't get better. The enemies of Judah are boasting that they will destroy Jerusalem before they can even see what is coming. They were going to attack when Judah was at its weakest. It was to be a surprise attack, an unexpected and swift campaign. And in one sense, you read that and go, well, things aren't looking good for Jerusalem. But then verse 12, by the providence of God, says that some of the Jews who were nearby to these nations heard and they came to Jerusalem repeatedly to warn their brethren. So we see God beginning to act on behalf of his people, even as they, quite frankly, are afraid and in despair and, and not. They're about to give up. Now there's a decision to be made. What will Nehemiah and the people do? How will they respond to this news? Perhaps more importantly, what will the Lord their God do? Well, let's read the remainder of the chapter, Nehemiah 4, 13 to 23. Nehemiah 4, 13. So I stationed people at the lower places, behind the wall in the exposed places. I stationed people by families with their swords, spears, and bows, when I had made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awesome Lord and fight on behalf of your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your families. And it so happened that when our adversaries heard that we were aware of these matters, God frustrated their intentions. Then all of us returned to the wall, each to his own work. From that day forward, 
Half my men were doing the work and half were taking up spears, shields, bows, and body armor. Now the officers were behind all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. Those who were carrying loads did so by keeping one hand on the work and the other on their weapon. The builders to a man had their swords strapped to their sides while they were building, while the trumpeter remained with me. And I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, this work is demanding and extensive, and we are spread out along the wall, far removed from one another. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, gather there with us, for our God will fight for us. So we worked on with half-holding spears from dawn until dusk. And at that time I instructed the people, let every man and his co-worker spend the night in Jerusalem, and let them be guards for us by night and workers by day. Now we did not change our clothes, not I, nor my relatives, nor my workers, nor the watchmen who were with me. Each had his weapon, even when getting a drink of water. So ends Nehemiah chapter 4. In response to the threat of attack, Nehemiah calls the people together. He organizes them. He prepares them for battle, and he calls the people to prayer, to, to specifically to remembrance of the Lord their God. I think it's important that we see here that this is an active faith, and sometimes we, we pit faith against it. We just trust God, then we don't do anything. And that's not what they did. They acted because they trusted God. And they were prepared for whatever might come, trusting in, remembering the Lord their God. And in that, God used their preparedness to frustrate the plans of the people's. In verse 15, they, they saw uh, what was going on. They realized, oh, we don't, get, we don't have a surprise attack anymore. That option's gone. The people are in the low places. They're ready with swords. And God frustrated their intentions. You know, we could highlight a lot of things here about the wise leadership of Nehemiah in choosing to do this and, and the, the, the work of the people, the practical details and planning and, and leadership. Um, it's always amazing to me to look at their example of, of readiness, prepared and watchful and in prayer. But these things are not the center of the narrative. They are a part of it. The people had a great leader, but that leader wasn't the focus. The people were prepared, but they weren't the ones who kept the neighboring armies away. 
The people worked hard, but it was only because the Lord delivered them. At the heart of all this is that God frustrated the plans of their enemies. Verse 15. In doing so, God answered the prayer of his servant, Nehemiah. I always thought that was sort of an unanswered prayer. But no. It wasn't just the people's readiness that saved them. It was the Lord, their God. He demonstrated he was the great and awesome God that Nehemiah declared him to be. And he showed himself to be faithful. Now, because of this, because the people saw God and his protection because they began to look to him again and to stand ready. Because of this, they re respond. And under Nehemiah's leadership, they continue on. Doesn't talk about more opposition against the work of rebuilding after this. We don't know. What we do know is that they continued on that they were ready and renewed until the work was complete. And they took action because they trusted their God would fight for them. When life becomes difficult, we can remember that. We can remember that our God is greater than any difficult circumstance. Now, a couple of points of application come to mind out of this. One is that remembering the Lord is great and awesome doesn't absolve us of being ready. We need to remember that life is difficult, that there is opposition in this world, and remain alert to that. Scriptures everywhere teach us of this. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. And I would encourage you to read the rest of the verse in John 16, 33. He said to the disciples, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Matthew 26. On the night that he was betrayed, and did the disciples listen? Now they, they fell asleep and they were not prepared when the trial came. But you know, I wonder if the disciples thought back on that night. I'm sure they could remember it vividly. We have the accounts of the Gospels to testify that they had a good memory. The Spirit of God reminded them of these things. And Peter would later say something to people to believers who are in suffering, undergoing opposition and trials. He said, Beloved, don't be surprised when the trial, that the fiery trial, when it comes upon you to test you. 1 Peter 4, 12. The Apostle John also said, Don't be surprised 
The world hates you. That's what Jesus said. He said, the world hates me. How much more will it not hate you? Following the Lord isn't the easy road, and, and we have to understand that. When we think about Nehemiah chapter 4, though, we, Nehemiah and his men were prepared. They were ready to fight with their weapons in hand. Because they were not surprised by the danger. Because the Lord allowed them to be aware of this, to see this, and they were ready. And not only did the Lord allow, allow them to see it and to prepare, but he took care of the problem. And he dealt with it. We need to be ready because we're confident in God. Not ready because we're going to prepare ourselves on our own. This is what the people did in Exodus. They thought to themselves, we're going to do it. But God had said, uh-uh, I'm not with you. You didn't listen to me the first time. And so they failed. All of their readiness and hyped upness didn't matter. We need the Lord. And we can be confident in him. You know, staying vigilant today may not involve strapping on real armor and a real sword and standing outside your house all night keeping guard. But we're commanded to be prepared for changing circumstances, for opposition in this world that the t scriptures teach us to expect. Proverbs 4.23 reminds us, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. How many of us remain alert to things of the heart where a deeper battle is going on? To be prepared and aware of the lies of the devil. To commit to be ready. Would encourage you to consider and to, to put in place things where you are um, seeking to be alert and to be watchful in these matters and to bring them to the Lord in prayer. Just as Jesus said, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. It wasn't just talking about watching out for things. I mean, there were some enemies coming. And so there was that aspect. But ultimately in their own hearts, lest they enter into temptation. So to remember that life is difficult and to be alert to that. Looking to the Lord. Which... Brings me to the second point of application. Remember that you can remain faithful in, in spite of your circumstances because God is faithful in your circumstances. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 7 to 12, we have this slow fade as the people turn from prayer to despair. But God did not leave the people alone. 
he answered Nehemiah's prayer. And he turned the enemy's boasting upon their own heads. He acted on behalf of his people. Even when they were, they weren't really following him at that particular instance. When you're discouraged, know that the only remedy to fear is to fear the only one who is to be feared. Now that's a convoluted statement, so I'll say it again. When you are afraid, remember that the only remedy to your fear is to fear someone, not all the things around you, is to fear the Lord, who is the the one we really should be concerned about, be thinking about, care about, what he thinks, what he says. Jesus said as much in Matthew 10, verse 28. He said, don't fear those who can kill the body only. That's just the body. Don't fear those who can kill the body only. Fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. To understand that there are things that people can do to you, but ultimately... The Lord is the one who has power over life and death, over the eternal destiny of yourself, to consider that. It's it's vital that we remember that the Lord is so much greater than any difficulty or circumstance or any fear. To remember, as Nehemiah put it, the Lord is great and awesome. When is the last time you thought of the Lord as great and awesome? Kind of makes fears pale in comparison. And not only fear, but pride, too. Go take a step back here and remember the one who really matters. How do you remember the Lord on a daily basis? Think about that. For me, remembering this week has involved thinking about a couple different verses. I was thinking about our Awana memory verse, Psalm 46, verse 1. The Lord is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in time of trouble. And I need to remember that, not just when I'm feeling happy in the morning, but when I'm in the thick of something, to stop and go, what was my verse that I'm trying to remember? And think about the Lord as an ever-present help in time of trouble. I've also spent time thinking about 1 Peter 4, verse 19 says, therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You know, I quoted a cup one other time anyway from Peter. I was thinking about the life of Peter. He learned the hard way about 
faith and trusting in God, didn't he? He had been faithless on the night when Jesus was betrayed. Not, he was betrayed by Judas, but he was abandoned by everyone. But God remained faithful, and we know what Jesus did. We know that Jesus died for the sins of Peter. He died for us, that he pursued Peter, and he gave him a mission. And that's why Peter is saying what he's saying here. Because he understands God's faithfulness, that we can entrust our circumstances and our struggles to him. And we can continue to do good, to do whatever it is that God may have called us to do in that moment and leave the circumstances, the insults, the mockery behind. Now, whether you work in in a mechanic shop and you deal with some disrespectful customers or you're... You have family members who refuse to believe the God of the Bible. Maybe you have people at school who mock you for believing what you believe about God creating people as male and female. Or it could be you look at the work that you're doing. Uh, trying to serve the Lord, you know, trying to evangelize to somebody, a friend that you care about, and then nothing seems to be happening. There are many situations that we could think of that would cause us to become discouraged if we dwell on them. But we can entrust ourselves to God and continue to do good because God remains faithful. And you know what? I was thinking about this. It's easy to say, well, God will fight for you. And we tell people that. God doesn't just fight for anyone. Following the Lord involves laying down our lives, giving up our kingdom so that it's not about what I want to do or think of as important to serve God. It's not, we, we need to think about it not as God doing what we think, but us doing what God thinks. When we have that attitude of surrender to the Lord, then I, we when we have our whole hope and confidence in the blood of Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, who was buried and was raised according to the scriptures. And that is our confidence. We can say, my God will fight for us. He will fight for me. Do you know Jesus would be the question that I would ask. Do you know the Jesus who is presented in the the word of God as Lord and Savior of all? 
You want to experience the joy of, of knowing a God who will never leave you or forsake you. Then cry out to him and place your confidence in what, what he has done. In the deliverance which he has bought for us. To lay your life into his hands. You know, if you can say that I have been made right with God, not because of what I have done, but because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished. You can say that Jesus is my Lord and I will follow him no matter what the cost. Then you can know that that life is difficult. To expect to expect opposition. But we can remain faithful and alert in all circumstances. Because our God fights for us. When things become difficult. Remember the Lord who is greater than any opposition you may face. You can be faithful in all circumstances because God is faithful. We can remain alert when we remember the Lord. We can be ready when we look to the Lord. What then shall we say to these things? Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously with him give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sore? As it is written, For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded like sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.